Hello, I'm Karen Hardwick, and in addition to being a clinically and spiritually trained therapist, I am a leadership consultant. As a result of my work and my own messy and beautiful journey, I know that connection is the antidote. On this podcast, I talk with people, leaders from all walks of life, who embody connection to self, to amazing grace and as a result to others. My guests are those who bravely choose true connection, even as they walk through some hard times. They hold their stories and the stories of others lightly and lovingly with authenticity and grace, empathy and gratitude. They are the ones awakening, broken wide open into wholeness. We are all recovering from something, and the sharing of our stories is all about connection not perfection. I have a chair here just for you. We are saving you a seat. You don't want to miss this episode of Saving You a Seat as I talk to Rob Shear, author, child advocate, and founder of the nonprofit Comfort Cases. And if you are all about a story of human triumph, do not miss this. Rob entered the foster system as a child carrying all of his belongings in a trash bag, wound up homeless. And now, as an adult, he adopted five children from the same system and is fostering change one child at a time. Okay, everyone, I am so delighted to have our guest here today. So grab your tissue box and open up your heart Rob Shear, author of A Forever Family, Fostering Change One Child at a Time, entered the foster care system as a child who had lost both parents. Rob was brought into a house with all of his belongings in a tattered and torn trash bag. He aged out of foster care at the age of 18, became homeless, and again carried his possessions in a trash bag. After serving in the military and moving on to have a successful career as a banker, Rob, along with his husband, Reese, decided to grow their family by adopting from the foster care system. Eleven years ago, four of his children arrived on his doorstep with their belongings in a trash bag. Floored by the fact that children in the foster care system still carried their lives in a bag used for trash, Four decades since his own experience, Rob decided to devote his life to restoring dignity to those transitioning in and out of foster care with the creation of Comfort Cases, a nonprofit designed to provide children with comfort and personal care items and dignity. And since its founding, Comfort Cases has been featured on the Today Show, NBC Nightly News, and other national and local media platforms. He is the host of Fostering Change, which is ranked the number one podcast for adoption and foster care issues. He lives in Maryland with his husband, Reese. There are five children and multiple pets, including dogs, goats, chickens, and a pig named Penelope. Okay, so Rob, I could hardly get through that introduction without like breaking into tears. I mean, you could see me. I was, I was, I was struggling, but I do. Let's just start with the light stuff. Why Penelope? Why is the pig named Penelope. Oh my gosh. So uh, three, four years ago, I got a phone call from someone saying, um, there is a pig 
who is next door and it needs a home. And I said, okay, we live on a farm. And they said the name, the pig is Penelope. It's a pet, but the woman is, she's getting dementia and she needs her pet to go somewhere that she knows will be loved. And so I said, okay. And I said, you can bring the pet, the pig to our, our farm. I went home and I said to Reese, I said, um, so there's this pig named Penelope that needs a house. And he said, no. I said, oh, sorry, it's going to arrive at three <laughs> o'clock. <laughs> So Penelope's been Penelope has been with us um, for years. We I have a hard time saying no. So. Yeah, you know I noticed that pattern in the book. You kind of agree to things, and then you say to Reese, "Hey, guess what? <laughs> hey. Somebody else is coming to live with us, or this is what we're doing." Oh, oh Reese Karen. must just yeah, he has a special place in heaven for him. Karen, I will have to tell you, you know I consider my book a forever family, a love story because it truly shows how. Um, someone can take what I went through as a young boy and growing up and meeting the most amazing human in my life. Nine, 18 years, Reese and I are celebrating, and I am the man I am today. I am the father to my five children. The way I father is because of my husband. Because for me, I didn't have that guidance. I didn't know what a good dad was supposed to be like. I didn't, I didn't know how it was to love. Um, and to love what I call unconditional. My husband taught me that. You know, his family, his mom, dad have been married over 55 years. I just received my honorary doctorate, and I actually um, thanked my father-in-law for being my guidance for the last 18 years to be the dad that I am today because I watch him be the father he is to my husband and my sister-in-law. Oh, you know, Rob, there's so much I want to talk to you about and yes, your whole story, though, is a love letter. Because there was somebody here, I thought, how in the world does somebody rise up from this kind of a pit and then go on to lead a life that really is about restoration and redemption? Someone was loving you. You were beloved and worthy all along, and you had to discover that. You had really dark days, but here you are, beloved and worthy and doing amazing work and leaving sacred breadcrumbs yourself for other people to find. Oh, I love that. I love how you said that, leaving those breadcrumbs myself. You know, I, I, I remind people all the time that, you know, number one, you have to have forgiveness within your heart to, to actually go forward when you have come out of the darkest of darkest so that you can be. And I, and I, you know, I have an older sister. I, I'm the youngest of 10, you know, and I do have an older sister that I'm, I'm, I consider myself close to her, but she's not able to can get out of that dark pit. And I keep reminding her that, you know, getting out of that dark pit first is forgiveness. And by the way, forgiveness is not for the other person. You know, forgiveness is for yourself. For yourself to bring all of that back, that strength that you've given to someone else, you've got to forgive. And for me, you are right about the fact that I've had people along the way, even people that I didn't even realize. You know, Karen, I have to tell you that one of the the moments um, of knowing that unconditional love was when my book came out and I was on a book tour and I went back to my hometown. I hadn't been back to my hometown since I was 18 years old. I was scared to go back there because I was worried about 
what was I going to face within myself, remembering the bridge that I slept under, the bathroom that I had slept in, the public library that I had, had basically lived in, you know, and what was that going to do? What was going to trigger me and the trauma that I had experienced as a young boy? And I went back to the, to the bookstore, the local bookstore where I grew up, and, you know, there was a huge line. And I remember saying to my, my publisher, why are all these people here? And they were like, she was like, they're here for you. And I was like, what? And my husband was with me and my children were with me. And I actually had flown my sister in um, because this was a big deal for me. And I remember stand, sitting at the desk and I'm signing books and I hear a woman say, Robert, I always knew that you would make something for yourself. And I looked up and there she was, the woman that I've wrote about in my book, my teacher, my teacher, Mrs. Bowley. She was in her 70s at this point, retired. She heard I had come and was coming into town. And a friend of mine had written her a letter and said, I don't know if you know this, but he wrote about you, about how you always had extra food when I was homeless. She always would give me that look in the classroom that I needed at that moment when I felt like no one even knew I existed. The act of You know, when I was reading your book, Rob, and I'm listening to you now, there's there's just no words to describe both the level of pain that you endured and that sense that no one was seeing you. No one was seeing you. And that yet here you are as a lighthouse, a lighthouse to the rest of the world, shining your light, beaconings into safe harbor for other people. Yeah, how in the world have you risen up from this? This re- where where does your resilience come from? My grit. My grit. Yeah. I, I, I say it all the time. We all have this grit that's deep inside of us. And how do we pull it up? And you know, Karen, I, I will tell you, and most people are kind of surprised about this, but mine is my faith. It's my faith. I know it's very hard for people to understand, and especially in today's climate, I have such an unbelievable faith in my Heavenly Father that I was placed here for a purpose. I went through what I went through, you know, and I'm on a path that is leading me to what I consider taking my pain and turning it into a purpose. But it was my faith. You know, and I under I, I I get it. I've heard people say to me, do, "Do you how do you how do you think that there is a you know higher being when you went through what you did? The, you know the scars that I see every morning when I take a shower from the cigarettes my father put out on my leg. He was there with me. My heavenly father was there with me. So you know, for me, it was my faith. I have no doubt. It's it's the only thing that makes sense. And and having walked a different path of darkness, different from yours but certainly one of my own, I too, and it's hard to describe, right? Because this is not about cliches. This is not about toxic positivity or having, you know, just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, people say to me all the time, man, God must think you're a badass, Karen, to have, right? (laughs) To have walked through all that I have walked through and yet still believe not only in the infinite love of God, but that life is good. So I want you to listen when we get off of this show and when you have some time, I want you to listen to a song, Rob. I've been listening to it a lot lately. 
somebody in the recovery community sent it to me, and that's those are my people. So it's called Belovedness. And it's about God, the Heavenly Father, and how beloved we are, and how important it is for us to own all the things we need to own and to own our belovedness. So you might you might really enjoy that song. I'm definitely going to listen to that. I'm definitely going to, Karen, I love that. You know, I, I, it's, it's, you know, I try to teach my children all the time, you know, faith is something that, you know, like empathy, we are not born with. You know, it's not in our DNA. The, the thought of to believe in something that you do not see, but you feel, and that's what it is when it comes to where my grit came from, is my, you know, my faith, my, you know, you just, you feel that when no one, as you said, saw me, and I truly believed that no one saw me standing there um, as a young boy growing up with what I grew up. I mean, I, it's just, it's horrifying that I look back and think about, wow, no one said anything. You didn't see me. I was disposable, you know, like the trash bags that I see kids carrying in foster care. But it's having that faith with inside of me. Yeah, yeah. He's got he's got amazing things going to happen within my life, and I'm excited. And I, I'm excited for my five kids. You know, when you read the book, Karen, you, you I talk about my four children: my beautiful daughter Amaya, who's now 17; my son Makai, who's 15; my sweet boy Grayson, who just turned 15; and my baby Tristan, who's now 13. But you know, I always say the saddest part is that. I wasn't, I finished the book before my son, Alex arrived. And so Alex is my, he's our fifth child. He arrived at the age of 18, just like me, a boy who was sitting in the system, getting ready to age out, not knowing where his future was going to be. He literally looked at me and said, I am going to be homeless just like you were. And he had read my book. And I said, that's not the way this story is going to go. And little would I know that three months after meeting this young boy in 2019, would he move home to his forever family? Reese and I opened our hearts, our door, my, my kids, you know, that, that's their brother. And now Alex is 21, graduated from high school. He's a sophomore in college. He just informed his dad and I last night that he's decided to take his junior year abroad. And he said, I never would have had that if it wasn't for the fact that you and Dad Alex loved me. Yeah, I could hardly get through a chapter of your book without having to put it down because the, the deep love and the ability to rise up from what you rose up and what you described was, was hellacious, what you went through as a child hellacious. And there's what you were saying, 437,000 kids at any point in foster care with 700 kids entering the system every day, all with a story like yours. And you know, Karen, the sad part is that number has changed. You know, the, the, you know, the pandemic, you know, I, I remind people all the time, children in foster care, they live in a pandemic every single day. Well, we woke up to in March of 2020, children in foster care have been living that every single day, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. But now we're averaging over a 
thousand children a day coming into the system. And, and the thing that people have to understand is that children come into foster care because of choices other people made. Other people made. Why do we stand on the sidelines and allow to happen what we see happen to these kids because of a choice that someone else made? These kids are our future. They're our future. And we have to invest in them, invest in them. And so I decided to give up my plush executive job, you know, and this is, this is my calling, you know, this is my calling. And I said to my husband, you know, I don't see retirement in my future because until there is a day that a child is not entering the system, I have to be the voice for them because I don't want them to feel what I felt disposable invisible, that they didn't have a voice. Tell us about comfort cases, Rob. I mean, here's what I think of comfort cases, and I'm going to let you tell everybody what it is. It's an outward sign of an invisible grace. It's sacramental. You know, I had a young boy say to me um, in the Midwest who received one of our comfort cases, and he said to me, Mr. Rob, why? I said, why what? He said, why would someone who doesn't know me give me all of this new stuff? And I looked at that young boy and I said to him, as I say to people all over the world, you do not have to know someone to love someone. Remember that. You don't have to know them to love them. And for me, you know, I thank my children and my husband every day for allowing me to share me with the 438,000 children in foster care in the United States, and now the 84,000 kids in the UK that we are now serving, um, because every child needs to know that there's somebody out there that's rooting for them. And I hope that when they receive their comfort case and they receive these items that, that we really put a lot of thought in, the brand new pair of pajamas, that every single pair of pajamas is wrapped in a ribbon you know, wrapped in a ribbon. And we have volunteers who come in our center six days a week just to fold these pajamas and wrap them in a ribbon for the children. Every single case has their own lotion, their own shampoo, their own conditioner, and their own bar of soap. And they're in a Ziploc baggie that they, it's just not thrown in there. We make sure that every child gets their own toothbrush and toothpaste. See, that first night that you come into the system, is probably the most traumatic thing that you can ever imagine occurring. And, and by the way, so many people, and we all have a story, but until you have been a child that has been taken away from all that you know, and by the way, it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. Right, right. It's all that we know. Right. You know, I, I remember as a senior in high school, graduating from high school, and nobody cheered or clapped in the auditorium. And as I went back to the back, you know, parking lot, and I sat there and I cried, I wanted at that moment to feel the cigarette that my father put out on my leg, because I knew at least if I felt that cigarette, I knew he was there, because nobody else was. So, you know, the fact that knowing that these kids are coming from such horrible, horrible stories. And then to receive this case, you know, their own activity, their own book, their own stuffy, you know, every single case that's packed, I tell people as they pack these cases, and by the way, we've given out over 175,000 
of these cases all to all 50 states, D.C., Puerto Rico. But I tell everybody, the last thing that you put into the case is the stuffy. And before you place that stuffy in that case, hug it. Truly hug it. Because when that child unzips that case, you want them to feel that love. Feel that love coming out of that case. Yeah. That's what comforts us. You know, you'd go to, you talk about that love flowing out of that case. And I would imagine that those kids really do receive that on some level because so much of the connection we feel in life is inexplicable. And we look back on events and, yeah, all of a sudden things start to make sense. You said before that faith is oftentimes something we can't see. And there's more and more research now being done, Rob, on how our brains are wired for a transcendent experience. I know, like we're neurobiologically wired to connect. So we know that more and more now, that connection is really something we crave. And there's research, thanks to Lisa Miller's work, showing that our brains are also activated to have a spiritual experience. So when you talk about the love pouring out of the comfort cases, I'm thinking those children, even if they can't put it into words, are experiencing some kind of a spiritual connection at that point. That's what your work is doing. I never thought about that, you know, and I love that. I absolutely love that, you know. Gosh, you know, Mm. I, I truly believe that if we invest in children, then we truly invest in our future. And, you know, I... I think about this quite often. I think about my legacy, you know, about the thing that we all talk about that, you know, whether we're white or black or rich or poor, gay or straight, male or female, each and every one of us are going to be given the same thing on our very last day. And that's our dash. The dash and then the year that we die. You know, I want my dash to shine. I want my children to walk by my dash and see it and say, my dad He just didn't talk about it. He did it. He did it. He made sure that every child in foster care knew that they're loved. That, to me, is such an unbelievable key. My dash. So what's the hardest thing when you talk about that dash, that whole, all of those things that happen between the time of your birth and your death, all those little things that really matter, what's the hardest thing for you, Rob, about being a dad? Because I know for me, you know, parenting, holy cow, just really brings up all of my stuff. There are moments when I am a hot mess as a mom, right? Just a hot mess. You should come <laughs> to the sheer farm. There's like parenting to hold up a mirror and say, look at all the work you have to do. So yeah, and I always say to Matthew, I am so sorry I couldn't heal my stuff fast enough so that you didn't have to carry so much of it. So what's the hardest part for you as a dad? You know, the hardest part for me as a dad um, would definitely, God, this is hard to say, because this question is, one, it's never been asked. And so um, in all the interviews that I've done, but I will tell you the hardest part for me as a dad is to allow myself to be loved. 
to know that I am able to be loved. And not for what I give, but just because of who I am. And um, like you just said about Matthew, I, I, days I worry that, you know, my baggage that I have brought into my family, my relationship, that my children have had to carry. And I'm a hot mess at times too, by the way, Karen. So yeah, it's, you know, I'm worthy. And that's so, so difficult for me. Every Mother's Day, I post the same blog, which is about the power of forgiveness. And as a parent, how our children forgive us. So you're a parent who shows up. You're there. You're loving. I am too. And I'm still a hot mess. And I still make mistakes. And my baggage is still heavy enough to require a forklift on most days, right? So, but here's the thing. When you described that you let your children love you and that's the hardest thing, I want to say two things about that, Rob. One, that's why I believe that parenting is a prayerful experience. Parenting is a prayerful experience. We're in constant prayer, constant connection with our children, constant connection with a spiritual being. And St. Teresa of Avila once said when someone asked her, how do you pray? She said, I just let myself be loved. So to your point, my dear friend, you letting yourself be loved by your children is a prayerful experience. God is in that. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I have so looking forward to, you know, sitting at this table with you, but I never, ever expected to have so much light shine into this podcast that has really, you know, I'm going to think about that. That is going to be, that is my takeaway. I believe that every day we have a takeaway and the day has started, it's early, but that is my takeaway. I'm in prayer when I let my children love me. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I want you to take that away and think about that and just reflect on that. So two things before we kind of wrap up. I, w- I really want people to be able to find you, help you, support you, learn more about comfort cases. There's so much we can talk about, so I want you to come back and talk more. But here's a question that I ask everybody. If you could invite anybody to sit at the table with you, because podcast is called Saving You a Seat, who would you save a seat for, Rob, and why? Wow. So I have to tell you, I love that question. I love that question. So anybody who knows me knows that I am probably one of the biggest Oprah fans in the entire world. And Oprah (laughs) asks every single person who enters her house the one question. If you could invite anybody to dinner, who would it be? So throughout the years, I've always thought about this. I've thought about, you know, um, you know, whether it's Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa or Gandhi or who would, or Oprah or Tina Turner, who I absolutely love. But I have to tell you, 
that if I have an opportunity to sit at a table and invite one person, it would be my husband, Reese. It would be my husband, Your Reese. husband, Reese. Mm. Yeah. Tell, Even tell though I get to see him every that. day, I get to see my husband, Reese, every day. I get to grow old with my husband. But I will tell you, there is no one besides my children that I enjoy to be with than my husband. He fills my cup. See, I truly believe that if you do not fill your cup, you cannot fill someone else's. Amen. And I'm so absolutely, you know, it it would be my husband, Reese. That, That to me is the person that I would want to sit at my table. Out of all the people in the world that I could choose who are gone or who are here, it would be my husband, Reese. What an amazing gift to have that kind of relationship. When you think about how your life started and how it now is um, showing up and what a gift that you are also letting yourself be loved. You're letting yourself be loved. And that's a hard thing to do. That's so hard. That is so hard, Karen. That is the hardest thing. Um, you know, because as I as I always remind Reese is that, you know, I came to him bruised and scarred. And, you know, and the fact that this amazing human looked beyond my scars and my bruises and just fell in love with me. And, you know, I will tell you, he doesn't like me every day. <laughs> I mean, that's a typical, that's a relationship. Let's make sure that we understand that. But he loves me. And I feel it when he looks at me across the room. He doesn't have to say a word. And I feel his love. And even on the days that I don't love myself, I just have to look at him and he reminds me, I am worthy. I'm worthy to have the love that he and our five children share. Yeah, my husband. Unbelievable. Mm. Yeah, I can't wait to meet him. I'm going to come up to that farm and meet Penelope, the five children, and Reese. Yes, yes. And come to our national center and see all the love. You know, the one thing I love about comfort cases is our National Center is located in Rockville, Maryland. Everybody can go to comfortcases.org. You can learn about our organization. It's all over the country. But the thing that I love when I walk into our National Center is the amount of diversity that we see around a table. See, I I remind people all the time, we have a job. Our job is to make sure that there is a chair at the table for every single person. And by the way, If you do not have a chair at that table, make a bigger table. Make a bigger table. And so I see as I walk in here, Mormons, and and I see Muslims, and I see people of Jewish faith, and I see, you know, Christians of all different varieties. It's just, it is so unbelievable, Karen, what you feel when you walk into the center of people from your community. And by the way, your community is not your zip code. It's our human race. But I see people from all over come to our National Center just so they can touch that case. So a child will be able to feel that love. Wow. It's, it's, it's like I said, it literally my heart makes my heart just 
smile, you know. Well, when you were sleeping under the bridge, I just can't even put into words that here you are, decades later, changing the world and the system, one child at a time, and people are pulling up chairs to that table, Rob, because of you and because of God's love that shines through you and that you allow all of that. And so before you do anything else today, I do want you to listen to that song, Belovedness. Yes. Yes. As soon as we get off, I am going straight to the internet. I'm finding it and I'm going to listen Good. to it. And I will be emailing you. and Please you know. do. I'll be waiting for that. Okay. So people can find you and Comfort Cases. Say that once again. Where can they do that? So it's comfortcases.org. Um, they can find us on all the social media platforms. They can find me at Rob Shear. Um, you know, but Karen, before we go, I have to say something to you. Thank you. Thank you for saving a seat for me. You know, when I read your book and, you know, was realizing that I was getting ready to be able to interview you, and then when I had a call with you, I just felt a connection. And again, I do believe that that connection has to do with our faith and how we look at the world and how we both, you know, no matter what trials and tribulations that we had gone through, we are so connected. So thank you. Thank you for saving a seat for me. Yeah. Well, I need you not just to um, realize that I've saved you a seat, but I need you to think about the fact that there is always a seat here for you. Always. So we will be talking. Let me know about belovedness and what you think of the song. And yes, yes. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Take care, my friend. Take care. Your listening means so much, so please hit the subscribe button and join us for the next episode. To tune into the power of connection and transform your life at home and at work, please also get my book, The Connected Leader. It is available on Amazon and all online book retailers. And visit our page, connectedleaderbook.com. Stay connected.